Welcome to Help, Help I'm, I'm Obsessed, obsessed with, with the Enneagram, a podcast where we discuss the lives of fictional characters to avoid obsessing over our own. This week, we're talking about the Game of Thrones series. But before we get into that, who are we and what the heck is an Enneagram? Kyle, take it away. Hi, I'm Kyle um, and I'm a type 4 on the Enneagram and my pronouns are he, they. The Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system that has nine types. The type 1, the reformer, type 2, the helper, type 3, the achiever, type 4, the romantic, type 5, the observer, type 6, the loyalist, type 7, the enthusiast, type 8, the challenger, and type 9, the peacemaker. Um, there are more nuances involved in that, um, but we can get into more details of those as and when they come up. And my name is Catherine, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm type 5, and I am an aspiring screenwriter. I have an MFA in screenwriting from Boston University. So, so we're basically just going to analyse a TV show or a film every week and chat about what type we would put the characters into. Yeah, basically. Hello! Hello! (laughs) We're back. With we are back. A new television show this week. With potentially the most mega television show we've yeah, attempted this yet. It's quite a leap, <laughs> I realised, from Winnie the Pooh to yeah. our subject for this week. <laughs> well, we're talking about like stereotypes of character last week. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go and have a listen. Mm-hmm. We chatted about Winnie the Pooh. Um, this is like the other end of the spectrum in terms of yeah. like complexity of characters. This was very hard to type nearly every character. Yeah. Like I had to do a lot of like thinking and research and checking and yeah. like I've even like I've this is the first time I've done this, but I've even like leafed particular pages mm. of the wisdom of the Enneagram, the like mega textbook that I have. So this week, we're talking about the Game of Thrones series. Ooh. So, we're mostly focusing on the TV show, because I haven't read the books, but yeah. if there's knowledge from the books that I don't have that Catherine might I have, I'm sure I do have sure a couple of little book quotes um, mm. that line up pretty well, I think, with some yeah. of the character attributes that I will bring up. Um, I have mm. read all the books to date. Um, I was flicking through the first one and actually made me really want to reread the whole series. <laughs> so I'm like, I really want the next book to come out so I can reread them all. Well, sure. If you reread, start rereading them now. Maybe, uh, maybe it'll be out by the time you're done. <laughs> you would hope. <laughs> you so maybe. for those of you who don't know, Game of Thrones is based on a series of books by George R. R. Martin. I think there, I can't remember how many there is in the series. Like seven, eight books so far. A fair few. <laughs> A lot. And it is fantasy series about a series of families who are all kind of big political players and are all vying to claim the Iron Throne for themselves, which is the big sort of ruling king or queen of the Seven Kingdoms. And it sort of tries to subvert traditional fantasy expectations. Yeah. Because it's such a, like a high fantasy series and high concept series, and there's a lot of political intrigue, there's also a lot of characters. So, yes. as per usual, we'll be focusing on six in-depth characters, um, yeah. and then we'll chuck in a load of side characters for a quick fire round at the end. But yeah, there are so many major characters that we're going to split this into two parts. So we're actually going to end up talking about, I think, 11 main characters in Mm -hmm. depth by the end of the two parts but this week we are focusing on the stark family so we've got five of the main starks to discuss this week. yeah so the starks are the rulers in the north they rule the north kingdom and Mm -hmm. are loyal to the people in the south um and yeah they're all a family uh mum dad and one, two, Many three, four <laughs> kids. But then there's also John, who's bastard. Is there only four? I think main there's kids? only because there's Arya, Sansa, Bran, Rickon, and Rob. Oh, and Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I for- forgot about him because he dies so early. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just also, you know, pre-warning. There's a lot of spoilers for the series and the books in this podcast. So if you 
are interested in listening but maybe even you watch the first season of the show maybe this is one to go watch the rest of the show and then come back and listen because we are going to talk in depth about character decisions yeah. throughout the series yeah from series one to series eight it will uh, so we'll shall we there. kick it off let's kick it off uh i'm assuming with head of the house at least for series one mm-hmm. um ned stark yeah played by sean bean mr edard stark which i'd forgotten oh, that was his name I and then i was, was, I was looking through the books and his <laughs> chapters in the books are called edard and i was like edard oh, wow <laughs> Um, would you like to go first or would you like me to? I will go first on this one because I think okay, I'm pretty confident cool. on I'm what I also, think this yeah, one is. He was the easiest one to type for me. Yeah. So I think Ned Stark is only around for the first season of the show. Uh, he mm. unfortunately gets killed off pretty early because I think in part of what his type is, which I believe to be a type one. Me too! <laughs> I think that's why he dies as well. <laughs> I mainly said that he was type one because i think his uh desires are to be a good person he wants like mm-hmm. balance he is a very ethical as character type ones are sometimes like afraid to make mistakes mm. they like they want to do right by everyone and that's something that his character seems to struggle a lot with the king that he is loyal to robert baratheon mm. he's asked to be his right hand man and struggles a lot with even making that decision and then also yeah. <laughs> with all of the ethical complexities that come whenever he is the right-hand man of a rather dubious king. Mm. So yeah, I thought type one suited him well. Some quotes that I picked out from the book were him saying, why is it always the innocents who suffer most when you high lords play your Game of Thrones? Uh, the only time a man can be brave is when he is afraid. Um, and a very early scene in both the show and the book is when he is telling Bran about why he feels the need to uh, kill this deserter who has ran away from Mm. the protectors of the realm, the guys who protect the wall from, you know, outside entities. Uh, Ned takes it upon himself to kill this man, and it is a point that he explains to his son Bran that, like, the man who delivers justice should do it himself, and that is how Mm. it's done, that is the right thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he was the easiest one to type, partially because he is in only the first season, but also I think because he is so strongly moral. He, like, sticks by honour and duty. Just, yeah, he's kind of the the epitome of a type one. He ends up dying because he will not lie. Like, he will not, like... He has, he's like, the truth has to come out. Yeah. Um, and he's sort of compelled to tell the truth. He completely sticks his duty. And yeah, he kind of dies for being a bit too dutiful, essentially. Yeah. I think he doesn't know how to play the game, the Game of Thrones. No. Like, ever, no, most doesn't. of the other characters that we encounter are willing to lie or put themselves first mm. at some point in the series in order to get what they want. And he yeah. is only willing to serve the common people and the common good rather than his own personal needs. Yeah, I saw someone describe him as having stubborn honour. Yeah. Which, like, yeah, I think that's the case. He's rigid, he really respects tradition. And yeah, he is a strong leader. And he, I think, the reason why I think it was good to do Ned, even though he's only in that first season, is I think his morals and his sort of steadfastness and his stubborn honour kind of shapes and guides and leads the behaviour of all of the Starks that we see for the entire rest of the seven, like, eight seasons. Yeah, I agree. He is, um, even if he's dead, he's such a massive influence in this series for the Stark family, who are arguably, like, the main family in the series. And I would say in terms of writing, his death is kind of the catalyst for Mm. all of the other drama that begins to happen. Mm -hmm. Because once the king has decided to kill his right-hand man, suddenly all bets are off for all of the other characters, and there's a lot more people who come forward to put their claim on the throne. Mm. Um. But yeah, I agree. I think his morals shape a lot of the other characters that we're going to talk about. Um, And he is mentioned a lot throughout the show, regardless of the fact that he's only in it for a season. 
So mm. Sean Bean doing his Sean Bean thing of <laughs> appearing and then immediately dying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where do you think uh, Ned's wing lies? I think that he is a wing nine. Mm. Because yeah, I think so. I think more than a wing two, because I that thing of like twos wanting to be loved and appreciated mm. for what they do. I don't think he necessarily does need that no. appreciation in return. I think he is willing to help people, but mm. he, he wants to help them because he wants everyone to get along. He wants things to be yeah. peaceful, like he's seeking peace for him and his family. Well, and I don't think he like likes things to change all that much. Like when he's initially asked to be the hand of the king, he's like quite apprehensive about doing it because it means kind of uprooting his entire life as yeah. it is. Which, yeah, is kind of within that three nine six triad. It's very like trying to keep things the same. Um, yeah, yeah. So we think Ned Stark, type one with a wing nine. Yeah, and probably the so. most moral character we will meet. I would say so. I think it's hard to argue that. <laughs> <laughs> not many, um, not many type ones in the Game of Thrones no. worlds. Uh, no, <laughs> are not. <laughs> Who's next? Jon Snow. Yeah, let's chat about Jon Snow. So Jon so Snow, Snow. Oh, oh, you can explain. You you give some info about Jon Snow. Why not? Jon Snow is uh, Ned Stark's bastard, or so we are led to believe mm. for much of the series. So he is given the name Snow because that's what bastards are called in the North. Uh, he's not a Stark. Um, but he is raised among the Stark children, basically as one of their own. John mm. uh, goes to join the protectors at the Wall, um, mm. and does very well there because he's not ever going to be able to like be in charge of a castle or be a king. And it is only very, very, very late into the show, and we haven't even got there in the books yet. But it was, you know, we could see it coming uh that we actually find out that john is ned stark's sister's child and is actually the true king and has mm. a, a huge claim to the throne um under the name aegon targaryen who is a sort of yes. mythical creature creature person <laughs> mythical person that we hear a lot of characters talk about this like baby that was supposedly killed and all along it was john snow so I typed Jon Snow as a type nine, the peacemaker. Interesting. I think he's an unlikely hero initially, and he's a bit too noble and honourable to sort of stay alive in the show, which I think is why he ends up getting stabbed and then brought back to life. Mm -hmm. He's stubborn, but he is adaptable. Like, unlike the one of Ned Stark, I think he can change. He just would rather things kind of stay the same, stay at peace. He's forgiving of others. And I think something that I found really interesting is if you look at him from the perspective of him being a blend of Targaryen and Stark, is I think Starks have a kind of overlay of one, of type one, being honourable and dutiful and like... Yeah, being good. And I think that Targaryens have a bit of a type 8 overlay mm. of being, like, aggressive and power and strength and control. And I think that he kind of blends these two together in a very type 9 way and kind of meets these meets those two kind of... They're not really opposing types, but those two types kind of in the middle. He's a natural leader, but doesn't really want to be a leader. He just sort of wants to be in the background a little bit. Um, he supports people who maybe aren't aren't accepted in Westeros, like the wildlings. He's focused on like the big picture with regards to the White Walkers. He doesn't just believe in like honor for honor's sake, and he's very selfless. He's self sacrificial. He doesn't really like power. Uh, he inspires others. I think he's really flexible. And someone said to him at one point, uh, you always know what's right. I think it was Samwell said that to him. And he responded by saying, it may seem that way from the outside, but I promise you that's not true. And I think I was dabbling with him being a type one, but I think that that for me highlights him as not a one because ones inherently know what's right kind mm. of thing. 
yeah, and I think he becomes his best self when he kind of learns his inner truth and learns to just kind of like be in himself rather than kind of like worrying about who he is and fading himself into the background. I can understand the argument. I didn't come up with the same type. (laughs) I thought Jon Snow is a type six. Mm. I did okay. also I also dabbled with the idea of him being a type one because he is a like out of all the other characters maybe the most moral next to Ned like mm. he definitely is concerned with trying to do the right thing yeah. um but again like I think I agree with what you were saying about like he makes too many sort of decisions for himself like he does Mm. at moments in the show put himself before all others yeah and what he wants normally when it comes to women to be honest (laughs) so like when he is in the night's watch he sleeps with this wilding woman uh egret and they're not meant to sleep with anyone but he's Mm. just like "Mm, can't can't help myself (laughs) and um Towards the end of the series, he also falls in love with Daenerys Targaryen and sort of forsakes Mm. his own claim on the throne for the sake of her. So thinking of all that in mind, it made me wonder if he was type six. Um, Mm. Because sixes are like reliable, they're hardworking, they're responsible, they're trustworthy, they're great problem solvers, but they can also be like defensive, uh, which he Mm. often is when people call him on his uh, decisions. They can be reactive um, they can be suspicious, which I think there is points in the show when he is very unhealthy, that he does get very mm. uh, cautious and sort of pulls back onto himself. Mm. And the fact that they want to have like security and to feel supported by others, I think is something that he looks for both at the wall when he is a member of the Night's Watch. Mm. Um, he like looks for a family, basically, to support mm. him. And the fact that he's able to, like, rise and become, like, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, I think is, mm. like, shows him having that security makes and that support makes him, like, a really mm. steadfast person. Um, yeah. And then later in the show, whenever he basically abandons the Night Wall, the Night's Watch to go and be with his sisters, I think that mm. is him, like, putting that support system Mm. above all else and being like yes i have to go support my family now so yeah that was my my take on it i also did pick up on the sacrificing though Mm. which is interesting yeah like at the i noticed i was flicking through the early pages of the first book a game of thrones and um a moment that is in the show as well that stood out to me is when they find the gray um direwolf pups they find mm. a bunch of pups when they are out um, coming back to Winterfell and they are talking about whether they should kill the pups or whether they should keep the pups because Bran really wants to keep these pups. Mm. And John points out to Ned that there are five pups, three male, two female. What of it, John? You have five treeborn ch- children. Uh, your children were meant to have these pups, my lord. Um, and it says... Bran saw his father's face change, saw the other men exchange glances. He loved John with all his heart at that moment. Even at seven, Bran understood what his brother had done. The count had come right only because John had admitted himself. He had included the girls, even Rickon, the baby, but not the bastard who bore the surname Snow, the name that the custom decreed be given to all those in the North, unlucky enough to be born with no name of their own. So, like, it only happens. They only Mm. get the pups because John is like, I don't need one. And then Mm. luckily they find, like, an extra one just as they're leaving. So, yeah, he definitely is, like, a sacrificial character. So Mm. I find it interesting that... Well, I think that's not... I think sort of sixes and nines can share that quality, I think. So, yeah. Shall we consult The Art of Typing by Ginger Lapid Bogda? Um, So this book uh, compares basically every type combination there is possible to help you decide when you're typing. So if you were interested in typing your friends or even just yourself, uh, I think this is a really good resource for that. And it's kind of our saving grace here. So the first question between a six and a nine is, are you finely tuned and tightly wired or are you relaxed and very easygoing? So basically how relaxed is Jon Snow? I mean, 
at the end of the day, I don't think anyone is relaxed in this TV series <laughs> nearly ever because yeah. they're kind of constantly fighting for their lives. But still. <laughs> I would say much of the time he's quite tightly wind and that like it takes a little while to get him to actually relax around people. Like Sam mm-hmm. is one of the characters that like makes him relax and he feels like he can have a chill time with. But I think yeah, he does also always quite have like quite a tense jaw. Like, yeah, this sort of yeah. I think I don't know. He has this little chip on his shoulder from being a bastard. I think. Oh and yeah. And I think a lot of that comes comes out as like I'm gonna be quite a, a tense, anxious character much of the time. Mm. So I would say that leans more towards a six. But <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it does lean more towards a six. I think. I think he. He do- he struggles to relax at times, but part of me. But wonders when he if- does relax, he does fully relax. So, but that's yeah. Part of me wonders is does he relax? It, does he not relax because he's in life threatening situations, or does he not relax because that's just naturally how he is? I think he's kind of always been a, a bit of a life threatening situation though, because the situation at the Starks household, yeah. even before the war has happened is that he constantly feels like he has Catelyn Tully's eyes on the back of his head because she's like, you are not my son. Why does this bastard child have to live in my household? I might briefly just have a look at Type 9 in The Wisdom of the Enneagram by um, Don Richard Risso and Russ Hudson because I'm just intrigued because they have basically a scale where you can look at what the types are like at their like absolute worst Mm. yeah see this is something that i have picked up a a lot with these these characters this week when typing them was looking at scales of happiness and unhealthiness because i think there is a lot of unhealthy characters (laughs) yeah i don't think many uh, people are healthy in this series i think a lot of these characters maybe don't look like the type in the way that we are expecting them to. Yeah, I think that's because the Because they are actually quite unhealthy and therefore maybe look like they're more well, and of I another think type. This is also the first time we've kind of looked at how, like a type in sort of like, it's not a historical context, but almost a historical context because like obviously they're going to act slightly differently in a fantasy yeah. world than they might in 2021. Yeah, obviously. So it says nines. Jon Snow doesn't have a, a mobile phone. <laughs> <laughs> it says nines at their like this is, and this is like at their absolute lowest point. Like so mm-hmm. we might I mean we probably see Jon get his absolute lowest point at some point, but like this isn't necessarily his like every day this is like absolute lowest of the low because also for some of these types it says like this is when they become like psychopathic and murder people and it's like okay well that's like the extreme so bear that in mind with regards to what this says so it says very unhealthy nines feel unable to face reality at all they withdraw into themselves and become completely unresponsive they may attempt to eliminate their awareness to save their illusions of peace through fragmenting themselves into sub-personalities. So they super withdraw, basically. And it says that six is the realisation that they have committed acts for which they will likely be punished is too much for unhealthy sixes. Guilt and self-hatred lead them to punish themselves, inviting disgrace and bringing down all that they have achieved. So do we feel like at his worst he completely withdraws or that he like punishes himself? I think he punishes himself. Yeah, I think you might be right. He has so many instances where he is in charge of other people Mm. and he is in charge and responsible for their welfare. Mm that I think, like, those are the moments when he's like, I have fucked up so completely. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, one of the lowest moments for him is probably when he comes back to life after his own men mm. have murdered him. Yeah. There's been a mutiny at the Night's Watch and they, they kill Jon Snow and it is only magic that brings him back to life. Mm. That has got to be, like... Well, <laughs> dying is a pretty ego. low point. 
Um, but I just had another little look on the Enneagram Institute and I've also noticed that sixes, when they are in a place of growth and healthiness, go to a nine. Yes, yeah. So I think like lots of the things that you're saying about him being a peacekeeper and wanting good for all people and people to all get along mm. is still part of his character. Mm. I do think I've just stopped, I've just looked at the next two questions um, <laughs> and the second one is about when my changing your mind a little bit um is about meeting new people and if you're cautious and watchful or if you're mm-hmm. quite open i feel like he's probably a bit more cautious when he meets new people yeah. but the one that really did it for me was um and i think you might laugh at this question is would you describe yourself as an intense person or would you describe this, <laughs> or would you others describe you as an optimistic person? And, uh, I think that's a case John closed Snow. on uh, on John the most Snow. Optimistic boat. <laughs> he is. I don't know if I've ever seen now. such an intense character on a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, I think that answers our question. I think I'm happy to say he's a type six. <laughs> I was so like on it with nine and now I'm like, oh no, that's not. (laughs) No, I can, no, but I can see where that has come from because like Mm. when he is feeling healthy and he is in a really good place, he's like, he's an excellent leader and he is more relaxed. And like, you see a lot of that when he's with particularly like Sam and the other men from the Night's Watch that he really trusts. Mm. It's just a lot of the show. Yeah. I think he is in quite an unhealthy place or he's around people he doesn't trust or he's in situations of stress. Um, so one thing for that... For a wing? Yeah, no, that's what I was... Because when you first said six, I was like, well, where would his wing be? So what were your thoughts? Because obviously I, I'm i only just coming to I, six now. I think... I said a wing five, but I think that's like less to do with like knowledge in the sense of like books mm. and more to do with like knowledge of himself and mm. knowledge of how people work. So like when I was thinking about like him being uh, an excellent fighter sort of came to mind, like he is really, and you probably see this more again in the books than the show necessarily, though actually the episode, I think it is called Battle of the Bastards. And it is one of the late episodes in the show whenever John comes to retake Winterfell. Mm. And the whole episode is just like a battle. And it is one of the best episodes of television that has like a battle in it Mm. that I've ever seen. Like the choreography is incredible. He's very like tactically minded Mm. when it comes to the situations. Like he wants to have information in order to inform like we are going to do this thing and i actually think that's probably why him and sam get on so well because sam is just like a font of information Mm. for him well and i think also if you're comparing fives and sevens sevens are a lot more outgoing and sociable and fives are a lot more introspective and i don't think I don't think anyone in the world would describe Jon Snow as a sociable person. Like, he, no. uh, <laughs> he, uh, he socialises with people he definitely likes and trusts when he feels in the mood for it and absolutely does not want to deal with anyone he doesn't like or trust. Which, mm. yeah, now that you've said six, I'm like, how did I not see this? Because um, I'm like, he's so focused on whether or not he trusts yeah, people. Yeah, but it's so hard with so many of these characters... Mm are so multifaceted and so good at changing their personality to meet the situation that is in front of them as a survival tactic. Yeah, 100%. That uh, you kind of have to wade through a lot of stuff to be like, what is their actual motivation in this scene or this moment? Yeah. So that brings us to our next character. We've sort of got three Stark children left. I I yeah. don't know which... We haven't included... We haven't included Baby Rick on... No, or Rob. Um, in the Stark children, or, or Rob, mainly because both of them die pretty quick yeah. in the show. Well, sure, Rickon and... survives quite a while. He's just barely in it. <laughs> yeah, he kind of... He disappears from both the show and the book. Yeah, um, for a and significant not... amount of time. <laughs> He's not an important player in the Game of Thrones, oh, so we him. decided that 
they didn't need to and we didn't include Catelyn either because she also dies relatively early on at least in the in the series so yeah I feel like they've all sort of got equal standing so you I don't know who you want to do next let's chat about Arya okay because I love her great (laughs) Uh, I think, um, yeah, you go first. I think Arya, I, yeah, dabbled with, like, so many of these characters, it feels like they could fit They're into They're such a complex types. characters, yeah. Um, But what I eventually came down to for Arya is a type 8, because I think she wants more than anything else to be self-reliant and to be able to protect herself and to be in control of her own identity, mm-hmm. which is a very type 8 thing, and, like, she... Her biggest fear is being controlled by someone else. Mm. Um, and the bit that really stood out to me with that is her decision. Uh, again, I think this is like fairly late in the series when she is in uh, the country Bravos. Um, she is training to be an assassin, to be a faceless man. And the whole thing about the faceless man assassins is that they have to become nobody. They have to give away their identity in order to complete the training um so i have a little book quote where um the guy who's training her says who are you he would ask her every day no one she would answer she who'd been aria of house stark aria underfoot aria horseface she had been aria and weasel too and squab and salty nan the cupbearer a grey mouse a sheep the ghost of harrenhal but not for true, not in her heart of hearts. In there, she was Arya of Winterfell, the daughter of Lord Eddard Stark and Lady Catelyn, who had once had brothers named Rob and Bran and Rickon, a sister named Sansa, a direwolf called Nymeria, a half-brother named Jon Snow. In there, she was someone, but that was not the answer he wanted. Mm. So, like, the thing that made me decide that she was a type 8 is her decision in both the series and the books to not complete her training she does the sort of last thing that she's asked to do and then the moment that he goes great you you've completed the training she goes no i'm aria stark and i will always be aria stark and i'm out (laughs) she's so badass i love her (laughs) so she she refuses to be nobody yeah um, which I thought was a type it would definitely always refuse to be no one because they want to have their own identity. Mm. I fully agree. I That's the exact moment I had written down as well that for me just proved it. Like for a little while, I, I dabbled in quite a lot of types for Aria and then I was like, well, no, like she's so self-assured. She knows what she wants. She's kind of rebellious. She avoids being vulnerable. She, like, fights for injustice. Um, I watched a whole video about how she isn't, like... She doesn't fight for death. She fights for life. Like, she's full of, like, energy. Um, She wants people to remember why they're being killed. Because that's, like, justice. She doesn't mm. want she doesn't want to just kill someone for the sake of killing them. She's killing them for like justice and revenge and she wants yeah. them to know why it's happening. Yeah. She's like such a badass. She's not afraid of honesty. She's so badass. One of the quotes I got from her was the rules were wrong. Like she just uh she doesn't need many allies. She's super independent. She's she chooses to go with anger, like she uses anger as like a tool. Um mm. yeah, she uses things to hurt her to give herself power. Like I think yeah. you really see such a difference in how Aya and Sansa react to the atrocious things that happen to them. Mm. And I think you see in Aya that she just goes, well, fuck this. I'm going to, like, find strength in this. I'm not going to let someone control me. It's kind of similar to that. The moment we were talking about uh, with The Good Place, when we were talking about, like, it's having this fuck it moment Mm. of, like, I'm just going to go for it. I think she has a lot of those. Yeah. And I agree. I think, like, where the horrible things, like, the family members that have been killed, those, like, emotionally cripple mm. Sansa they like fuel Arya's yeah. like anger and like make her go on yeah. um yeah she's such and also her choice to and like ease the easiness that she does um 
face like her life when Ned there's a scene early in the first season where he turns to her and he's like well one day like you will marry a knight and you will probably be mm. like a grand lady of a castle and she just says no that's not yeah. me and it's such she a like simple knows line. herself when she's what like 10 10 and she's so like happy to be like cool i'm gonna learn sword fighting and like this isn't even she doesn't worry about people like turning around and being like what are you doing Mm. she doesn't care about other people's opinions she's like nah this is what i'm gonna do (laughs) and one thing i thought as well is seeing her at her best is the moment that she decides in season eight when um big spoilers but um danny is like destroying King's Landing and she's like on her way to kill Cersei Mm -hmm. and then the Hound is like do you want to be fueled by vengeance or like like because I my life has been filled with like just revenge or like do you want your life to be something else and she chooses to essentially go and help people like that's really connecting with that too like connecting with that caring and goodness and like looking after people she tries to save as many people as she can you know it's pretty hard to save people from a dragon rampaging a a a city but she tries (laughs) she goes for it yeah so yeah i yeah i think it's once you sort of think about it it's hard to argue her not being an a yeah what wing do you think she is i went for wing seven because i think she's you know she is impulsive she's she's sort of fast moving she doesn't really like she's not trying to keep the peace she's trying to be rebellious and be like yeah full of energy she uses that energy really like effectively i think yeah i agree i think she's the wing seven i think like she sort of seizes whatever is in front of her Mm. and takes opportunities that are presented to her and like yeah doesn't spend a lot of time like sort of considering all of her options or like what will make her feel uh like safe or what is best for everyone else Mm. she's just like cool this option's in front of me gonna do it this boat's in front of me gonna jump on a boat to bravo yeah amazing (laughs) six so that makes aya a eight wing seven awesome so shall we move to her sister sansa yes sansa is a tricky girl she really is i will do a caveat of i am a massive sansa fan i know a lot of people aren't but I love Sansa as a character. I, she yeah. is one of my favourites. Um, I know that people, some people, don't like Sansa, or maybe they didn't like her portrayal. Well, she's like this in the books as yeah. well. But, um, they don't like her portrayal in the first couple of seasons of the show. Mm. It's basically Sansa. So many bad things mm. happen to Sansa that like anyone would be emotionally Exactly. <laughs> So Sansa spends a lot of the show, like, crying, to be honest, (laughs) Um, and has to go through a lot of shit. Yeah. So I think a lot of people didn't enjoy watching her because of that, but I don't think, like, I think she's actually one of the more complex characters out of the whole show. Um, Do you want to tell me what you think her type is? Yeah, so I, I was really between two types, and they are next to each other, so... I just decided that whichever one I landed on, it would be the wing. The, her other one would be the wing. The one I ended up landing on was a type four. So I think that she withdraws from others when she's in pain. She expresses herself through fashion. So this is where I'm going to go off about costume for um. a little bit. In uh, <laughs> in another life, I, uh, I'm a costume designer and, uh, so Sansa's costumes are my favourite in the entire series, hands down. She completely expresses herself through her clothing. So Michelle Clapton, the costume designer, talked about how Sansa is in the books and in the first series. We see her doing embroidery. She is a skilled seamstress. She is a skilled embroiderer. And she... her clothing develops so much across the seasons so when we first see her 
she's dressing like her mother, like a Stark. Then when she moves to the south, she starts dressing like Lannisters and Tyrells. And she, like, starts to express herself as, like, a, a woman of the south. Then when she goes to the Eyrie, she has this beautiful black I gown that's covered in this, raven feathers. I costume with the big furry yeah. coat that she puts on as So well. this was that um, Michelle Clapton talked about that she... Uh, just uses materials that are around her. So that dress is basically entirely made of raven feathers wow. because the eerie is full of like birds. And then like as she comes back into herself and is her authentic self as a Stark, she embroiders a big wolf across her chest and like in the final shots of the <sighs> show, what a queen, she's in this literally. incredible gown that has like the winterfell god trees um leaves and it's oh it honestly it's beautiful <laughs> um but yeah essentially a, a long way round to say she reflects who she feels she is and who she is through her clothing and through her fashion through her hair um she adapts herself in order to survive she cares really deeply about others. She's so emotionally driven. Mm -hmm. She, as you said, spends half the season crying. And what's more type five than spending half the show crying? More type four. I spent, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, type four. Sorry. Um, You're too, you're so emotionally invested. Yeah, I'm so, honestly, Sansa (laughs) is like, yeah, everything for me. She observes, learns from the sidelines. Like she's very like in the background going, okay, I'm working out what's going on here. Mm. And she's sort of, yeah, keeping to herself, working things out. She's connected. She's realistic. She's, yeah. uh, She struggles to uh, separate emotions from reality. Um, No, she can separate emotions from reality. Sorry. (laughs) There's what I wrote, like, in The Battle of the Bastards. She is a lot more authentically herself and a lot more confident in herself by this point. And she is saying to John, look, Rickon's dead. He's like, no, he's not physically dead yet, but he's dead. Like, don't let yourself be controlled by emotions. Because I think for a lot of her life, she has been controlled by her emotions. Yeah, I think she, out of all of the characters, she has one of the biggest character arcs. Mm. And a lot of that is informed by all of the conflict that has happened to her. So like that moment with Rickon, where she's like, Rickon's dead she is able to handle that with so much maturity mm. because she's already had the crappy stuff where yeah. she's like crying over her dad's head being chopped up yeah. in front of a crowd well, and of then people being by the man that she's like supposed to marry. <laughs> yeah, she really goes through it. And yeah, she learns to be like smarter than her father and like, yeah, kind of makes herself different. Is Yeah. It wants to be unique. So, I, sorry, I've talked for no, so long. No, it's fine. You I completely agree. I think she is <gasps> a type four. Um, so, like, yeah, to just to bounce off what you were saying, I, I completely agree. I think she wants to express herself and her individuality. Um, she wants, she withdraws to protect herself quite a lot. She wants to take care of her emotional needs. One of the things the Enneagram Institute says <laughs> that a type four will occasionally be motivated by is to attract a rescuer and perhaps they mean that in terms of like uh you know relationships but like in Sansa's case several times she literally does have to attract a rescuer she has to yeah quite literally men (laughs) to get what she wants from people to be able to like actually leave wherever she's been Mm. trapped um and the thing that I notice most was this idea of fours wanting to create and surround themselves with beauty and Mm. when at the very start of the season season one episode one Sansa is very concerned with this idea of being a princess and like it is the Mm -hmm. most beautiful thing in the world to her um that she will be a princess and she's gonna marry Joffrey and everyone will have to call her your grace and like she is completely enamored with this sort of fairy tale mm. life. And then later in this uh in the books in the show, I have another little book quote where she is looking at some other girls. Um 
And she says they are children, Sansa thought. They are all silly little girls, even Eleanor. They've never seen a battle. They've never seen a man die. They know nothing. Their dreams were full of songs and stories the way hers had been before Joffrey cut her father's head off. Sansa pitied them. Sansa envied them. Oh. I was like, oh, Sansa. It's like at that point in the series, like she she is not allowed to have those dreams anymore but she wishes that she could she still oh, is like drawn su- to is it such a fool. <laughs> um and i agree yeah i think this like idea of when she is unhealthy that she behaves more like a two she sort of attaches herself mm. to people and it's like please i'll do anything that you want mm. if like and and that's fine as long as like yeah. i can get myself out of this most of the time life dangering situations yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think especially what you were saying about kind of her having like a fantasy world especially because for the majority of the series she is like a teenager yeah um and i know that like as a four as a teenager that's where you spend a lot of your time you spend it in this like fantasy world where you'll have this like rescuer who will kind of save you from all the like mundane mundanity of life and for her that's becoming a princess and like she won't have to live in like the gross north and even whenever she has those dreams dashed by other characters it like reoccurs again and again that like whenever she realizes Joffrey isn't going to treat her well, she turns to Cersei and is like, can Mm. Cersei be a mentor for me? No, Cersei can't be a mentor Mm -hmm. for me. Can Marjorie be a mentor for me? Mm -hmm. Like she looks for new people all the time that she can uh, cling to and be like, will you help me out of this situation? Um, And then she learns to be her own queen. Yes. I love her arc so much. Like, I was so nervous they were going to kill her off in the last season. And when she, like, became Queen of Winterfell. Yeah. And she's, like, authentically, like, and that decision being is, herself. And... That's, a, that's a decision that she makes as well. It's not given to yeah. her. No, no one says, Sansa, oh, we would her. like you to be queen. She says, no, okay, Yo, I, I'm, I'm going to be the queen. Because I don't think that the North should be part of the rest of this country. Yes. It should be its own place. Preach. We love her. Uh, I love her. I thought, because of this sort of ambition, even at the end, to be queen, um, mm. and she does have a lot of thoughts throughout the series about like what it would be like if she was queen, um, how mm. she would rule things differently. I thought her wing was a three. She has a little, a little bit of quiet ambition there. Yeah, I think I think she's a three. She a, a wing three. She's adaptable. She is able to kind of change herself when she needs to to suit a specific situation she yeah is quite yeah ambitious Mm. she does look for success like she wants to be successful at things and she's quite she's relatively outgoing yeah i think she's in the right situation (laughs) yeah she's uh she is mostly withdrawn because she's normally very upset but like she can sort of make herself more outgoing and like is has the slight showy off tendencies of a three occasionally like mm. yeah i think she's got that wing three in her yeah what a queen cool Sansa. i was so worried you were gonna type her as something else so. <laughs> no no i didn't i thought about it for a while but it was ultimately like yeah her being driven so much by her emotions mm. that made me decide that she was a four yeah so that brings us to our final Stark that we're going in depth with today. Yeah. Bran. Bran. Um, so would you like to take the lead with again, Bran? Again, Bran is kind of a difficult Oh, Bran point. is so confusing to try <laughs> and type so because he's basically like an all-knowing yeah. god by he's the end. He's basically, out of all the Stark children, in the very beginning of the series, he is this like very curious, adventurous little boy who unfortunately sees something he shouldn't um (laughs) and ends up paralyzed from the waist down and has to like readjust his whole personality and life so who he is at the very end of the show is so different to like what he would have been if he was just allowed to be this like curious adventurous little boy 
Yeah. I'd um, be so because, intrigued to see what he'd be like yeah, had the accident not, not happened. happened. Because by the end of the show, basically, uh, Bran, out of all the Stark children, is like the most like magically gifted. Mm. All of the Stark children, uh, less so in the show, more so in the books, are able to connect with their direwolves and like will have dreams that they are inside of the body of their direwolf. Um, Bran is the only one who is able to like use that in real life. Um, and is able to, uh, I think it's warg is the term they have for it, like yeah. into other creatures or other people. And he also gets like visions of the future. So by the end of the show, he has taken over this position called the Three-Eyed Raven, where he is like this magical, oh, knowing, all seeing. Well, yeah, he can God. see everything that has ever happened and everything that is ever going, ever to, going happen. to happen. <laughs> like, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> So because of like the intensity and the cerebralness of that, I was like, what else can I give him but to make him to type him as a type five? Yeah. Because like, what? <laughs> what else what else yeah. can you possibly be? <laughs> um so yeah, but also to be fair, type fives are they're uh curious about the world, mm. which he is curious yeah. at the beginning. Like that's he loves like climbing the castle mm. and sort of knowing what's going on in the castle. Um but yeah, they can become detached. Uh, they can be high strung. Um, it says they typically have problems with ex- I can't say this word. Eccentricity. That's the one. Nihilism, isolation. At their best, visionary. I'm reading from the Enneagram Institute website. At their best, visionary pioneers, often ahead of their time and able to see the world in an entirely new way. And I was like, well, well that <laughs> sounds like Bran. <laughs> that's Bran for sure. Yeah, so, yeah. I. <laughs> I also typed him as a five. He, yeah, is like a wise sage. He's like monk-like. He likes the idea of adventure. He's quiet and introspective. Like he only tells people so much knowledge. He has all this knowledge. And I think that is kind of a five thing to be holding on to all this knowledge. But I don't think this is the case for Bran, but I think for a lot of fives, it's like, not wanting to get something wrong, so mm. not saying it. He holds back information because if he told everyone all the information he knows, they'd probably like freak out. A yeah, bit. they would react um, badly. <laughs> but yeah, he sort of like has all this knowledge and collects knowledge. What I loved, I was watching a load of different video essays, and someone was talking about how he holds history, stories, and memories, and mm. he like essentially is humanity like he holds all this knowledge and he has power from knowing all that having all that knowledge and uh yeah he's the reason that like the night king or they were arguing the night king is going after him is because he holds humanity he holds all stories if bran dies all the stories of history disappear And it is, yeah, it's interesting as well because his name is Bran and he's named after. Uh, there's another Brandon Stark in like, yeah. the mythology of the world that he's named for. Um, like it's quite like a, it's a na- it's a historical name unlike mm. the other characters, the other Stark children. Like it has a history to it. Mm. Yeah, and he observes rather than participates. Yeah, he's hard to read. You don't really, like, know what's going on underneath the surface. Surface. He sees the big picture. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty I much all there, I've got for him. There's a recurring element on this show of, like, characters who do not have physical strength or mm. physical power or authority in terms of being head of a house seem to reach for knowledge in the form of like Mm. books and knowledge about the world to prop themselves up in this society so like another character that i think we see this a lot with that like having the knowledge gains them respect Mm. in the world like if bran didn't know any of this stuff who's gonna listen to this crippled little boy but because he has all this knowledge everyone has to respect him i think another character we see this with is like samuel tarley is kind of treated um as bullied to be honest by a lot of other characters but like actually him knowing stuff about the world helps him out 
Tyrion yeah. we see this with, mm-hmm. where he's like mistreated because he's dwarf in the eyes of the world. Yeah. And him having knowledge and being smart saves his life a lot of the time. Yeah. Which like I as a type five flipping love that. Well, and I think ultimately if I were to guess I don't know George R. R. Martin personally, um, <laughs> but if I were to guess at his type, I would assume he's a five. a five. Mostly because of the sheer mass of detail that he yeah. goes into in these books. Like it like- is <laughs> it is no mean feat to like create such yeah. an intricately detailed world like that I I don't think I could ever like Well like even so, in the back of the yeah. books so Game of Thrones just the first book is seven hundred and eighty pages long. At the that back there's an appendix that has the names of every single character who's mentioned and who they yeah. are and what house they belong to. And the who they're like related to. Was first published in nineteen ninety six and it is ongoing. So he's been writing this series for like over twenty years. For my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he has been writing this series as long as I have been alive. So I think it planet. would be pretty fair to type Joshua Martin as type yeah. five because, like, <laughs> he, he's nothing if not thorough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So back to Bran. Uh, what wing did you give him? I think I would have to give him a wing six because oh. rather than a wing four, because I think like his detachment for mm. me i read as like not being as emotionally driven mm. so by default i was like i'm gonna lean towards a wing six because much of what he does like all of the other stark children is motivated by this like security of family and wanting mm. to like get back to the family wanting to uh save their family members because whenever bran initially goes north he's going north to try and find john Mm. um and then it becomes something else yeah interesting so i went for a wing four but my reasoning i sort of like quite quite stupidly forgot about (laughs) the emotionality of a four because he really is detached from his emotions um but my main thinking was his sort of like withdrawnness and his sort of lack of mm. socializing. Yeah. But I think I like your six theory. Well, he could also be such a balanced person that I he mean, has a very balanced is, wing. He is quite ultimately sort of calm. Uh, eerily calm. Uh, at one point, uh, it, on one hand, potentially the healthiest character we will ever see (laughs) ever while on the other hand like is that what we're aspiring to be like (laughs) i i yeah it's sort of so i think he could quite easily have a balanced wing yeah um and yeah i i can't really tell if he's the most healthy character ever or, or the most unhealthy the most character unhealthy ever. Because he's kind <laughs> like, of had to give away a lot of his own self-identity. Because I think that is kind of, of this like... <laughs> with regards to like Buddhism and stuff, like I think that's sort of the goal to be like not... To kind of give up yourself, essentially. Yeah. And I, um, I think that's the reason, which I mean, I know this was an unpopular decision among many mm. fans to have him be elected the king Mm. of the seven kingdoms at the end of the show is because everyone thinks oh well he's so wise and he knows everything that there is to know about the world so surely he will be a fair and just ruler and will take Mm. everyone's considerations into account Mm. yeah i i personally i'm gonna say something controversial yet brave which i have told you before a hot take i quite like the last series (laughs) I I know everyone at the internet seems to hate it. I quite enjoyed it. I had a great time watching yeah. it. I loved every second of it. And I really liked the ending. But I know that that's not a particularly popularly no, held belief. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I know it's not a belief that even you necessarily well, hold. I'm like, I'm not mad at the end of the series. Like, I can get on board with Bran being king. Mm. 
and I can get on board with like everything else that happens to all the other characters I just wish that they had taken the time to set it up in the writing I think yeah, I, can see I that. think the writing for Game of Thrones unfortunately dips in quality towards mm. the last couple of seasons and That's maybe fair. it's just burnout from the writers or you know they they weren't working off the books at this point so they had a lot less material to work off mm. um but it just feels that a lot of like a lot of big character decisions are rushed. They're not set up very well. And mm. I wish that like the decision for Bran to be king, for instance, had been hinted at a couple of times. That like if you mm. are a viewer and watching it at home, you can go, Oh my god, this is what they're setting up. Oh my god, this is so cool. And instead mm. it's a bit of like a shock, like twist. <laughs> you thought it was gonna be this, but da-da. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did just briefly check what the wisdom of the Enneagram says about healthy fives, and yes. I think we have the healthiest character we've ever seen. Okay. Fives let go of the belief that they are separate from the environment oh, and an wow. outside observer, and are thus able to confidently engage in life. They also paradoxically achieve their basic desire to be capable and competent and be able to live in the world. My they then goodness. become clear-minded, knowing, profound and compassionate i can only dream (laughs) (laughs) um sick so does that bring us to our awards it does so uh we have two awards we give out every week we have the oops i didn't gain award for the character who does the most thing that is most like their type like couldn't be more of a type whatever moment and mm-hmm. we have the clumsy award for the character who was the most difficult, most confusing to type. Uh, both mm. references to Britney Spears songs. Who do you want to give the Oops I Did It Again award to this week? I would like to give the Oops I Did It Again award to this week to Head of Stark, House Stark, Eddard Ned yeah. <laughs> Stark. Because he literally dies for over his ethical beliefs. Being <laughs> such a like good person. Like, yeah. No one needed you to be that good of a person, Ned. <laughs> oh dear. I um Yeah, I yeah. agree. <laughs> I think that's the other so... it to as well. <laughs> um so, who would you would like to like give the clumsy award to? Give the to? Clumsy award to Jon Snow. because uh, <laughs> just because I think like he does he's very multifaceted. I think like I was came down on type six eventually but like Mm. i had to sit there for a wee while like some of the other characters even like sansa who has a lot to her personality like whenever i came down to it i was like oh well there is nothing else that she could be no i decided on this yeah there's a through line even with john i'm still like oh well he definitely like has really strong secondary types like Mm, i would say like secondary types could be like a type nine or a type one and it Mm. would be very easy to mistype him as that yeah um especially if you only took like if you took one season out of context and we're just taking him off one season i think you'd come up with something completely different so yeah yeah, john snow yeah the boy who knows nothing that That brings us side characters side characters which we are gonna do before we do anything else yes so we have a bunch of the other characters we couldn't talk about in depth. We're just going to run through them. We are going to give them a type, give our opinions, but we are not allowed to explain what our opinion is. So, yes. shall we kick it off with Catelyn Tully? I two. Two? Oh! Rob Stark. <laughs> Seven. Three. Ooh. Ooh. Theon. Four? Six. Oh, okay. <laughs> Peter? Uh, this is Littlefinger, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, three. Three. Mm. Uh, Ramsay? Seven. Eight. Ooh. Yara? <laughs> Eight. Eight. Ah. The Hound? Eight. Four. <laughs> Ooh. Michael Bray stuck Oh, I am so. Choice. I am so upset that we are not discussing. I might. We might have to discuss this off air because I need to know why you typed the hand as a four. <laughs> I am so interested in that. Um, if you want to hear why 
Catherine typed the hound as a four, we may do, have to do a side character a episode just on the hound. Bonus episode. <laughs> um, so this is the first of a, a two-parter episode because obviously yes. we're not going to talk about every single character in Game of Thrones in depth and no. talk to you for several hours. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is where we're going to pause for this week. Do you have a yeah. little Enneagram tip so far? Um, my Enneagram tip so far is to, when looking at the Enneagram, like, don't allow it to be kind of a, a, this is everything about me and I'm going to put myself in a box. Someone described it to me, or someone described it on like a thing, I can't remember what it was, that learning about the Enneagram is releasing yourself from a box that you have put yourself in, not putting yourself into a box. Mm. So yeah, like these characters are very complex people and it's kind of why they're so difficult to type because they're more like real people and it's really hard to type real people because people are complex. They don't just fit into every single thing about a type if you read something about a t- your type and you're like well i'm not like that so maybe i'm not that type at all well maybe you are still that type maybe it's just like that particular aspect i know for a really long time i didn't relate to being a four because all i ever read about fours was that they were depressed and cried all the time and yes i do cry a lot but <laughs> I didn't sort of identify with the idea of being like depressed all the time yeah. because that's not something that I relate to, but I couldn't be anything but a four. Like I'm the most four person ever. Like, yeah. So yeah, the complexity is important and recognize the complexity in yourself as well as in the people around you. I really read that. I like that a lot. Because I think, again, similarly with, like, Type 5, I read about Type 5s and, like, the idea of them being, like, so isolated and cerebral Mm. and intense did not feel Mm. like me at all. And then was like, oh, yeah, but actually I am motivated by all these other things. So my writing tip so far for the characters of Game of Thrones is kind of related in terms of, like, if you want to use the Enneagram as a means to develop characters, I think looking at the motivations for each type is such a great way to figure out how a character is going to react in a certain situation Mm. and maybe like, all of these characters are so complex, like they would react very differently in a situation that had Mm. different people in the room or depending on like, even where they are in the world, they're going to react differently. But, like, their motivations stay the same. And while they might have, like, a motivation in a scene, their overall motivation is quite true to, I think, what we've said these types Mm. are. So I think that's a really great way to use the Enneagram for writing, is to Mm. look at the types and say, like, okay, cool, I'm going to take these motivations from my character's going to be a type three and I'm going to take these motivations and those are going to be their overall motivations throughout the show that I'm going to write for them. And maybe in individual scenes they might act act slightly differently, but it doesn't Mm. mean that they're not informed by those bigger choices. Yeah. Yeah, there can be more nuances involved. Yeah. So, tune in next week, and we will (laughs) be doing part two with more of your favourite Game of Thrones characters. If you're listening to this, like, I cannot believe you said that this was a Game of Thrones episode and you haven't even discussed Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, we'll get there. Next episode (laughs) is the other, like, anyone who isn't a Stark, basically. Yeah, all all the other big players in the Seven Kingdoms are going to get talked about next time. So we will see you then. See you then. Bye. Leave us a review if you like the show. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at EnniaObsessed. That's E-N-N-E-A, Obsessed. We're also on Instagram at EnneagramObsessedPod. And if you completely disagreed with everything that we were saying, send us an email at EnneagramObsessedPod at gmail.com or you can leave us a voicemail um, so we can actually hear your voices at anchor.fm forward slash enneagram obsessed 
Help I'm Obsessed with the Enneagram is created and produced by us, Kyle Flindidis and Kathy McFall. Music is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers from silvermansound.com. See you next time. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>